0: We serve a God that has unlimited ability to love us, unlimited power, unlimited wisdom. We serve an unlimited God. In the presence of his people, I can declare today without the shadow of a doubt that we are loved. We are loved not in the way that humans love each other, but we are loved in the way of a creator. That when something went wrong, he didn't give up on his creation, but yet provided a solution and bankrupt heaven's bank account and poured out on us a solution in that of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if there's a question today in your mind about if God loves you, I want to erase that question and give it a solution to say indeed he does. In fact, Christmas celebrates that the solution, the promise of God has come. And so I want you to know today that you are loved, and I don't care what you came in here with, I don't care what you came, did last night, or even what you did before you came here, that as long as you have breath in your body, you have a second chance. I'm going to say that again for some old school Adventists that don't believe me. That as long as you have breath in your body, as long as Jesus has not returned in the clouds and you are alive, you have a chance to get it right with Jesus. And this church at the Richmond Seventh-day Adventist Church, we believe in second chances. We believe in 100 chances. We believe in 200 chances. Whatever chances you need, we just believe in serving a God who loves us with unlimited love. You believe that. Let me hear the church say amen. Amen. Yeah, we serve a God who loves us, who cares about us, who won't give up on us no matter what we do. So good morning, church. I'm glad you came to church today. I'm glad the cold didn't scare you. Um, I know that there's more cold to come. I know some of you like to escape in the mountains and looking forward to going to the snow. But I, I don't care what season it is, whatever season it brings, I'm just glad to be in the house of God today. And uh, I'm glad to be a part of this series that we are in on David. It has been an absolute phenomenal series. And let me tell you something. Last week, Pastor preached a phenomenal message on David. It was, it was, I was shouting, I was stirring in my seat, and uh, I, I was just blown away by what the Lord gave him. And I want to continue and pick up really from that moment today as we continue in this series. And I want to bring your attention to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Hopefully you have a Bible with you on either you have the analog version or the digital version, whatever version you have. Uh, I got my analog version today. And I want to start at verse 15. I hope I gave the tech guys the right text. I think I did. Maybe I did. If I didn't, they'll find it. 2 Samuel chapter 16. And I want to Pick it up at verse 15 and read to verse 23 and from the NIV today. NIV. Hope you found it. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem. And a fifth of was with him. Then Hushai the Akai, David's friend, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king. Long live the king. Absalom asked Hushai, is this the love you show for your friend? Why didn't you go with your friend? Hushai said to Absalom, know the one chosen by the Lord, by these people, by the men of Israel, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son just as I served your father? So I will serve you. Absalom said to Ahithophel, give us your advice. What shall we do? Ahithophel answered, this is some good counsel, I guess. (laughs) He says, lie with your father's concubine. I don't know where that came from. I know Pastor teaches leadership. I don't know if that's one of the 22 laws of leadership. Delay with your father's concubines. Somewhere he got that. Whom he left to take care of the palace was the reason why he said that, though. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench in your father's nostrils, that the hands of everyone with you will be strength, strengthened. So verse 22. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. Ooh, this is good here. They pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. Can I, can I just give you a, a heads up, a sneak to this, a hat code? This is the same roof where David sees Bathsheba. This is the same roof where David commits his sin with Bathsheba and now they pitch a tent for his son on the same roof turn to your neighbor this morning help me preach this this morning, I need need some help this morning, can you help me turn to someone next to you, that's a neighbor it's been a while I know, turn to someone next to you and say neighbor Neighbor. oh neighbor neighbor. like like father like son Come on, I need you to touch another neighbor real quick. On the other side, say neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Neighbor. Like Like father, like son. Lord, we just ask for you to teach us today, change our hearts. And for someone today needs to make a decision to be changed for the rest of their life. May it be so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we pick up this part of David's life we are picking up David in a different season. And I want to read to you where Pastor Sergio left us in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And looking at this verse, God tells David in response to his sin that in verse 11, out of your own household, well actually verse 10, um, actually, we'll go to verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? Here's what Nathan said to David. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword, the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you before your very eyes. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. David is shifting in his life. What a story of David, the textbook, really, of the human existence, to see the mistakes, to see the calling, to see the fall, to see the response, to see the legacy that David leaves behind. In the Psalms, we see his heart poured out. We see his wisdom through his son in Proverbs. We see the life scope of David, this biopsy, this this documentary of David, which is really the documentary of the human experience. And then, the, as humans, we go through different phases in life. You might be young now, and you don't understand what's getting ready to happen in high school. When you're in high school, you have no idea how sweet you had it in high school until you get to college. And when you're in college, you don't realize how sweet you had it in college until you graduate and get the bill from Sally Mae, my ex-wife. Some of y'all catch that later. Life has different seasons, and David is now entering into a season where he is now very aware of his weaknesses. He's beginning to think about his legacy now, and he's aware of the fact that his secrets and his hidden problems are now being exposed and now at risk of coming into his household. And and God gives a a prophecy through Nathan that says, hey, this sword is going to be in your household. This this constant reality and pressure of what you have done is going to be with you. I want to to unpack that in just a little bit, but I, I want to take you to something that Paul writes about in Romans to kind of give a context, because it is a very interesting moment here in David's life where he has received the mercy of God, but yet he does not escape certain judgments from God. As the result, the consequences of his mistake, he loses a child. As a result, the consequences of his mistake, he loses another child in the sense that her innocence is taken within her own household. You see the struggle of David, whose family begins to fall apart. And with just a, a care or just a um, very surface observation, we might see that, da- that God is maybe struggling in how he's going to punish David how does David bless David and still punish him? How does he forgive him but yet say the sword will be with you? It's very interesting in Hebrew language that one of the tenses of verbs that's used uh, it, it really express this idea that it's, it's kind of a, it's not really in our English language, but there are tenses where God is, takes credit for things that happen. In other words, what is caused it says he caused it it's interesting God takes the credit for things that he doesn't even do but because of who he is and because it happens he says it has happened and it and it will be but I will take the credit for it even though or the blame for it even though it doesn't come from my hand and so when, da- when, David, when God says to David, this sword is going to be happening, and this sword is going to be in your life, and I'm going to give your wives to one that's close to you, really what God is saying is that because of what's in your household, this is going to come to pass. I'm not going to lead someone to do it, I'm just telling you, because it's there, it's going to come to pass. Now, I want to bring you to the New Testament, to the book of Romans chapter 8, some of you uh, have studied this extensively. It, it's a very powerful uh, text that's loaded with a lot of theology. I really can't expound on it very in a very deep way, but some of you who are very deep theologians have, have read this and studied this before. It's, it's Romans chapter 8, and we want to pick it up here at verse 26. Now, Paul is kind of explaining uh, what is going to happen. He's talking about the life in the Spirit, and Romans is really this calculus version of salvation and he's just kind of breaking down eloquently and when we pick it up at verse 26 he begins to share us something that's pretty deep he says in the same ways he's been talking about hope in the context of this verse in the same way the spirit helps us in our weaknesses thank God the spirit is there for us in our weaknesses to help us when we're weak we do not know what we ought to pray for that ought to give somebody some relief right Sometimes we don't even know what we're praying for because we're so weak. We don't know what we need. But he says that, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches, I love anytime time I see the word searches in the Bible, I actually replace it with a different word. If I didn't know about translation, you know what, I would replace it, right, right, with Google. Google is really what this means so i want to replace that if you don't mind in this translation that in the same uh, but he who googles our hearts you know on google you can have different filters on google right you can do safe search you can do it just when it gets everything right that's that's the way the spirit searches us he doesn't safe search us he googles us searches our heart and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of god of the spirit Because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to his will. Now here's where we're picking up. His will. Now look what happens here. And we know that in all things. Somebody say all things. In all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, you've got to go to another book, the book of Colossians, in the very first chapter, here in verse 15. Look what the Bible says here in Colossians 1, verse 15, talking about Christ. He is the image of of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Okay? The firstborn of all creation. For by him by him all things, somebody say all things. All things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible And invisible. Can we go a little deeper? Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, say all things again, were created by him and for him. Okay? He is before all things. And in him, all things, say all things again, are held together. Losing my place. I need some glasses here. There we go. All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among all among the dead, so that everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things on heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Leave that verse up there for me. Verse 20. For God was pleased to have in him his fullness, dwell in him, that through him to reconcile himself all things. All things is a very powerful theological concept. I don't have time to expound on it. But when the Bible talks about all things, it's talking about all things. Invisible, invisible, on heaven, in earth, powers, principalities, the combination of all things, past, present, future, all things. The Bible explicitly says that Jesus himself is not only the creator of all things, but everything is all things for him. I'm going to confuse you here in a little bit. So all things by him. He it dwells and maintains all things and it's all things are in him to bring him glory so that by his blood he reconciles all things. So when we go back to Romans chapter 8, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So all things Bad things, good things, terrible things, awesome things, things that happen before us, things that happen to us, things that we do to others, things that we've never known will happen and have happened because we caused it. Jesus brings all those things together for the good of those who love him. He has control over all things. In fact, all things, he works in all things. So it may be for your good, but it may not be good for you. It may not be good for you. You may not like what you experience. You may not like what you hear. You may not like what you see. You may not like what you experience, but for those who love him, God works and reconciles all things for the good. And that good is according to his will. Whoo, this is good. not No pun intended. Because his will is based on all things. Your will is based on some things. Our will is based on a few things. The things that we think we know about. The things that we know and plan for, we know those things. But in the perspective of God and in the perspective of Christ, who is not just around all things, who does not just see some things conceptually, but has cracked open and entered into humanity, understands all things within the context of the reality of all things. This thing is getting crazy to understand the perception and depth of Christ. So when the prophet tells David the sword, Is going to be in your house. What he's telling David is I'm going to bring a reality that is going to check you to make sure that you are not submitting to your will but my will. That you are not submitting, David, and going back to the same thing where you thought that your mindset and your creativity in your sin and in your lust is going to create something that's not there. You thought you got away with it last time. But, David, I'm going to press this reality to you that even though you're my chosen one, you're still weak. Even though you're my chosen one, David, you're going to need me. Even though I blessed you and I forgave you, David... You're going to need to walk with me because what you caused has already started a problem. What you've done has already begun a chain reaction in the lives of your children and the legacy that you leave. David, what you started, I cannot take away, but I can work it together to fulfill my promise that one day Jesus will come through you. And so we have an issue Because there's someone in his life that David loves. And that is his son, Absalom. And Absalom represents everything that is great about David and everything that is bad about David. Absalom is strikingly, unbelievably handsome. The brothers got it going on. He is man of the year. He is on every magazine, every sexiest man alive. Absalom is the man, okay? He is the man hands down. He's brilliant. He's well-spoken. And he's fierce. And he's intelligent. And what happens is because of David's sin, you see this problem and this dysfunction in David where things are happening in the family and David's not necessarily handling it the way he should. Because he's a little subconscious conscious about his sin. He's a little, feels like maybe he's not qualified to deal with it because all they got to do is bring up his old stuff. You ever felt that way? Your, your children realized that you made a mistake. Your children re- realized that things weren't the way they should have been and, and they, they were lied to growing up or whatever they felt like they were and they didn't really agree that the religion that you have is, is for them and then now you feel like you can't say anything because they discovered something about you and you don't want to be corrective now because you're a little afraid because, man, I did the same thing. How can I talk to them about that when I know that I did it? And the sword is in the home. and So I want to bring you to something because, see, the problem with Absalom is Absalom represents this other side of David that Absalom thinks he is entitled to the throne. So you got to go back and read a little bit more about him. But what happens is that Absalom seeks justice in his own household for his sister who was mistreated, really not mistreated, that's just a word I got to use in church. He, he, his sister was completely demoralized and destroyed, and he sought revenge, and he didn't seek revenge, and he took time to seek revenge. Like, Absalom plotted this thing out, and because of the justice, by killing this individual, one of his own brothers, he kills him, and then he separated from his father, David mourns for him, and through this reconciliation process, they come back together, but Absalom doesn't really come back together as reconciled as David wanted, because what Absalom does is he kind of stands at the gate, and he starts politicking. Absalom's a great politician. So people would come up to talk to David about some issues, and Absalom would be sitting there with his abs showing, you know, six-pack, busting out pecs, you know, I don't know, you probably could do that thing like that, you know, <laughs> standing there with his long, flowing hair cologne, you know, custom Armani suit, sitting outside of Bugatti, just sitting outside the palace, like, good morning. How you guys doing? Hi, Absalon. How you, how you ladies doing, you know, just out here trying to make it, you know, and and Absalon is out here shaking hands with the people and talking to them, and he'd say stuff like, you know, my dad's great at that kind of thing. I just I just wish he had a little more help. You know, I just wish, you know, I wish he had a little more time to himself. If he did, you know, I'd I'd probably help him with a few things. Well, what do you want to talk to my dad about? Oh, I got this issue. Uh, Yeah, you know. You know, I'll tell you what. I'm sure my dad's going to handle that. I'll tell you what I would do. I would do X, Y, and Z. And so that's a good counsel, Absalom. Well, thank you very much. Give him a little kiss on the cheek, you know, do the whole thing. And so four years go by, and Absalom has won the hearts of the people. While David's being neglectful, Absalom has won the people. So it gets to this point now where Absalom says, guess what? This is what I'm going to do. Tell a whole bunch of people to meet me over here and tell them that there's a new king. And the people go with it. They think, oh, okay, Absalom's the new king. That makes sense, right? He's been doing a great job. Maybe David has made his son the king now. And Absalom completely revolts against his father. And we have a problem. That now David has heard that Absalom is revolting against him And David does something that surprises us. He leaves. What's David supposed to do, right? Is he supposed to kill his son? Is he supposed to go after him? This is the son that he loves. He represents everything that's great about him and everything that's bad about him. What's David supposed to do? David feels he has no choice. David says, I'm leaving, and he leaves with his people and people begin to divide. People begin to say, okay, you know what? I think it's better to go with Absalom and, or maybe I'll stick with David. And you know how politics are? People go with whoever they think is going to be, be advantage for them. I'm going to go with whoever is going to benefit me the most. And so they kind of split off and David takes off and Absalom has a plan. Now, one of David's, or Absalom's uh, counselors is a former counsel to David. And so here's where we got the problem, back in the verse that we were in, back in 2 Chronicles, where we at? Oh, 16. So so David is really concerned about what he's going to do. Now, going back to uh, 2 Samuel 15, as David is leaving and trying to figure this thing out and hide, he whispers up a prayer to God. He whispers up a prayer and he says, God, please. This is verse 30 of chapter 15. Now David had been told that a fell, oops, ahiphophil. I can't say these words. Ahiphaphel. Okay. Don't name your son that. Okay. And among the conspirators with Absalom. So he finds out one of my counsel is with Absalom. So David prayed. Oh Lord, turn a counsel into foolishness. Now, what's amazing is God answers his prayer. Because the next verse says, When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hashai, the Akarite, was there to meet him with his red robe torn and dust on his head. Here's one of David's friends, one of David's council people, and he's standing there waiting for him when David arrives. And so the plan is, as they talk that he is going to go and pretend that he's going to be loyal to Absalom and go find Absalom and confuse Absalom's counsel, or excuse me, Ephithophel's, uh, forget it, that guy. <laughs> confuse his counsel before Absalom. And so he goes and he shows up. We'll we read, right? And Absalom's like, who, who are you? What are you doing here? Now here's what gets deep. Because now Absalom, who in his mind has said, I'm going to be the king. Absalom, in his mind, who decided based on his own will that he was going to force himself to be the king, now is confronted with two people. And this is how, this is how he gets him. In verse, back there, in, we're back in verse 16 now. This is how he gets him. Verse 17, he says, is this how you show love to a friend? Absalom's confused. What are you doing here? Why are you trying to help me? Why didn't you go with your friend? Look what he says. Verse 18, know the one chosen by the Lord. This is 2 Samuel 16, verse 18. He says, know the one chosen by the Lord. Absalom thinks that's him. So far, everything's going according to his plan. And this this little shot to his ego gives him enough courage to make the association that he's the chosen one. Look what he says. He says, no, the chosen one by God, by these people and all the men of Israel, I will be, and his I will be, and I will remain with him. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, okay. So... The chosen one. I, I like that. I like that. I, I kind of like that, how that sounds. The chosen one. You're right. You're right. I am the chosen one. You know, he's pumping himself up. You know, my dad, he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't know how to run a kingdom. Look at him. I, I, I'm the chosen one. You're right. So what should we do? <laughs> that's, his next, that's his next statement. Like, well, okay, so what do I do? Right? He's still young. He thinks. He knows what he's doing. And he's like, uh, so king, what should we do? I don't know. What, what do you think we should do? He's taking notes. So his advisor says, you should lie with your father's concubines whom he left to take care of the palace. Now this is where it gets crazy. I got to come off the stage of this. So he's doing this on purpose because I told you, he served As one of David's advisors before. And he's a little cautious about this whole political split. And so he's making room for himself just in case Absalom gets defeated and they blame him. Trying to make sure that he's not recognized as the cause of the conspiracy. So he realizes if I can get Absalom to defile his father by sleeping with his concubines, it will be 100% clear that Absalom has turned from his father, from the people, and everybody will know and have cause to blame him. Here's what's deep about it. Where we at? Verse? Oh, I lost my verse. Here you go. Yeah, verse 21, Ahithophel, when you research who this is, can I tell you who he is? He's Bathsheba's grandfather. Ooh, now, come on, guys. That, I'm going to sip some tea on that point there. This is Bathsheba's grandfather. Most scholars would agree. As he's listed in 2 Samuel 23, 25, it lists him as the father of Bathsheba's father. It makes sense, though. Because think about it. As Pastor preached about Bathsheba last week, the only way he could have saw her is if she lived close to him. And nobody lives close to the king who's not a part of something important. So the Bathsheba that he sees from the rooftop is somebody that David knows. I'm just telling you. (laughs) David's a cold dude. And I'm trying to tell you, this thing is boiling up to a point where he sees a perfect opportunity to play on Absalom's ignorance and his pride and say, Absalom, I got an idea for you. Why don't you sleep with your father's concubines and I have the perfect place? Why don't we go up on the rooftop? (laughs) Penthouse suite. Set up a tent. What he did to one, you got 10. And we're gonna do it in front of the people and we're gonna embarrass David. We're gonna let David know who's boss like father, like son. And if we're not careful, that part of us that represents everything that's good about us and everything. That's bad about us if we do not surrender it to the will of God if we take it into our own hands To say I am going to make this happen We are in danger of repeating the same mistake that God already delivered us from We're in danger of going back. I know what you said. I don't like the way my dad raised me I don't like the way my mother talked to me and you know what when I have kids Anybody say that? I don't like the way we were raised. I don't don't like the way church was. When I get older, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be hypocritical. I'm going to do this. Christ is in all things, ruling all things, sustaining all things, His will should be the will for our lives. And what God is asking us to do is to align our will, really surrender our will, and take his will for ours. And return our will back to the store like a bad Christmas gift that you're getting ready to get. Take it back to the store and exchange it. Because in all respects, Absalom was better than his dad. He was better looking. He had the hearts of the people. But the problem was, it just wasn't God's will. And Absalom was blinded by the opportunity to snuff somebody out. That in that very moment, he actually signed his death sentence. And so here's what I love about it, though. Because it's on the rooftop where David made the biggest mistake of his life. It was on the rooftop, where David saw a woman and made a mistake that changed his life forever. When Absalom had surrounded himself with his will and put himself first, it's in the same place where God brings him redemption. Redemption. Because when Absalom turns against his father in the same place where David turned against God, what he did not realize is that God was using David's friend to frustrate his plans. And while he commits this great sin, Shia throws out a concept and an idea. And here you have these two counsels who both have an idea, and everybody goes with his idea. And while he's doing that, he slips out into the night, sends word to David for David to prepare. And David's life begins to turn right in the same place where he fell. I want you to go back to Romans, and look what it says. Romans, back in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 29. And we know that all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, he said for those he thought about, he said, I want you to be conformed to the likeness of my son. The reason I'm doing this for you, the reason I'm working it out is that you to become more and more like Jesus. This is the point of why he's working it out. He's working it out for you to take the nature of Christ, for you to align and surrender your will to his, to be conformed to the likeness of the Son, that he might be the first among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Why? Do we find ourselves submitting to our will? Why do we find ourselves over and over again trying to make it happen for ourselves, trying to step into something that we're not called to? When you realize what you're called to and the confrontation of Christ in all things shows us that we have a different calling and a different purpose that if we just surrender to his will that God will work things out for our good and the reality is it may be for our good but it may not feel good to us it may mean that you have to stay in that one bedroom apartment for five years It may be that the report comes back negative and you do have the illness that you feared the most. It may be that their husband is going to leave you and he's not going to come back. It may be that your child leaves the church for a little while, but you got to understand that when you submit your will to his, he's working it out for your good, that the thing that you feared the most may be the thing that you need the most to set you in the right place. And so, I want to end with this story because as we continue this series, we will see that as David reflects on what's happening in his house, and if you go and read the story of how much he grieves the death of Absalom, who eventually is killed in a conspiracy, is killed even though David gives instructions not to kill him, he's destroyed And David mourns for his son. As we continue in this series, you'll see that in our own lives, those moments that are dark, those moments that are painful, God has a way of using them to give us fuel for the future. So I'll never forget, I was going back to Walla Walla. I had attended Walla Walla College at the time, and... I did not do well I was, I was lost, I was in a state of confusion I was having so many problems In my family, and my mind And I was really running from my call And I just kind, of, just kind of Lost it, went there for one quarter Completely flunked out And just left I was out of school for five years And in that time God began to call me And began to tell me Hey son, you need to, you need to change your will You need to redirect your will You can do whatever you want be successful in whatever you want, but you will never be satisfied until you surrender to the call. So I made that call. Surrender. I surrendered to that call. But then I had a challenge because the consequence was I still had some bad grades at Walla Walla. And I still had a bill at Walla Walla. Somebody ought to say amen. You know what a bill, especially at Walla Walla, looks like. Had a bill... So I went to financial office, I said, this five years later, I said, hey, listen, I know I'm trying to get some things back together, I'm trying to get my things back in order, and it said, okay, you got to do a couple different things. First of all, you need to retake the classes that you failed in order to come back. You got to retake those classes. And you got to pay this amount before we even look at what you're getting in. And I was confused because I felt very strongly that God said, go back to Walla Walla, go back to school, go back, it's your time. I said, all right. So I'd go back, and then I'm hit with some bad news. I thought I was going to just walk in. I thought God was going to do a miracle, and it didn't happen. And here's what made it worse. I was dating a very lovely, beautiful woman at the time, and I wanted more than anything to marry this woman, and I realized that I had to get some things together. And so I was a little concerned. So what I did was I found a job right away. They said, "Okay, you got to go back to school. You got to get a job. So I enrolled immediately to Walla Walla Community College. Big shout outs to Walla Walla Community College. I started taking my classes, and I was working. Taking classes, working. I got through the semester, right? I got through that quarter, whatever it was, Finished the classes, and then I'm like, "Great, Now I just got to save up to pay the money." Well guess what happened? I got fired. Now listen, I've pretty much had a job my whole life since I was about 12. I don't know about a legal job, but I found a way that like, uh, I was shoveling snogger in Minneapolis, so I was shoveling snow, I was cutting grass. I was even a babysitter. Can you believe that? I was babysitting two white kids out in the suburbs. I was good. trust me. <laughs> You know, that's good. So I was babysitting. I was doing everything I could ever since I've been a kid, and I had never been fired. So I got fired from this job, and I'm in Walla Walla. I'm like, all right, you know, it's Walla Walla, whatever. You know, I'll get another job. No job. I couldn't find anything. Now, look, I've always had a job, always. And I'm like, wait, I'm knocking on every door I'm filling out, every application. I mean, I'm willing to do anything. Even McDonald's wouldn't hire me. Now, I'm lying, because I didn't go to McDonald's. That was was the last straw. I should have done that, but I I didn't think they would at the time. Door closed, door closed, door closed, door closed. Got to the point I only had one option. I had to move from Walla Walla and move to Tri-Cities to live with a church member to work at Red Robin. Big shout-outs to Red Robin. You, You didn't know your boy had it like that. I used to work at Red Robin in high, in high school because I had to pay for Auburn Adventist Academy. So I had a job. I was working like full time while I was in school. It was crazy. Because I was 18 my senior year. So I um, had to work at Red Robin. And listen, there was a gap like four months between I wasn't working. I was really feeling bad about myself. I thought, I, I thought she was, you know, this beautiful young woman was going to leave me or feel bad about me. And I was struggling. I'm like... God what is going on So finally I moved To Tri-Cities I'm working like crazy As much as I can And I didn't have much time Because I didn't get there Really to the summer And I worked And worked And worked And worked And I, finally the time came September came It was time To go talk to Cassie Anybody know Cassie? That is a beautiful woman So Had to go talk to Cassie She said Terrence let me see what you got I said I did everything you said I, I did the thing I did that, she looked, I said, I got the money for this, I paid this off, and she said, well, she starts looking at my paperwork, she says, Terrence, I'm sorry, you're still short, you're short about $4,000, and I'm sitting in the office like, I know God told me to come, I know, I know, I know it can't end like this, I'm thinking it's over, I'm thinking, God, you told me, you said, surrender my will to your will, you told me that, you said, if I just said, I will do it that you provide for me. It's not looking right. It's been a year. What am I supposed to do? I'm 25 now, right? And I'm like a sophomore in college. Like, this is going to be crazy. Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm Sitting in the office. She's like, Terrence, I don't know what to do. I, I can't help you. So I said, I just sat there in silence. And if you ever meet Cassie Reginowitz at Walla Walla, she has this thing about chewing her pen. So she's got this pen in her mouth. And she says, hold on, Terrence. I shouldn't, I shouldn't impersonate her, but I love her. So she says, hold on, Terrence. And she puts this pen in her mouth. And she starts looking through all these papers. Then she just leaves. She just walks out the room. Didn't say nothing. Just left. Where'd she go? She came back in. She sat down. She pulls out this stuff out the drawer. She looks. She looks at me. She looks back. She starts pulling out paperwork, throwing stuff everywhere. Slams the door. Runs out. Now, I, I knew enough. That when God is working, to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) I didn't say a word. I'm sitting there. Door's slamming. She's going through stuff. She looks. Then all of a sudden, she starts signing paperwork. Looks at me. She looks at me. She says, welcome to Walla Walla College. I said, Cassie, what happened? She said, I noticed... Y'all gotta forgive me when when the Lord when you think about what the Lord has done for you. I'm not trying to hold back my praise. I'm just trying to finish the sermon. She says, Terrence, when I looked, when I looked at your income, I noticed. That you didn't make enough money. So she said, <laughs> "You're eligible for some financial aid that you wouldn't have been eligible for if you had made more money." And the fact that you ch- that you ch- that you um, your age makes you eligible for loans because you can file as an adult. And that's what happened. And I sat there as I felt the presence of God just overwhelm me in my heart. And I went outside, and I didn't know what to cry. I didn't know what to do. Because you got to understand, I had already registered for class. And class began Monday, and this was Wednesday. And I already met my professors and I already talked to them so Wednesday was the deadline and I walked outside the old ad building and I wanted to cry and I wanted to scream I didn't know what to say when I was standing outside the room outside of the door Dr. Dave Thomas the Dean of Theology was standing there he he just I don't know why he was there and he just looked at me he said Terrence He said, Terrence, "Terrence, we're going to make a preacher out of you. When you submit, when you submit to his will, when you cast your will aside, he works it out. The sword will be there to remind you, don't do it your way. That text promises that he will form us into the likeness of his son. So when he looks at you, he says, like father, like son, my will is your will. My power is your power. My strength is your strength. If you just submit to me, I will guide the course of your life. And someone here today doesn't realize that your will isn't working. You're mad at God for something that he put in front of you to keep you from destroying yourself. And you're mad. I'm trying to tell you I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many white or gray hairs you have. That God's calling is irrevocable. And he's saying to you, I need you to submit to me. And while David thought his kingdom was going down, his kingdom was going up. And in the place where he messed up, the place where he ruined his life, his son committed something even worse. And it's at that very rooftop that God began to restore the kingdom of David. So I want to pray for someone today. And I ask the team to sing this song as a response and as a reflection. And I would just ask that you bow your heads wherever you are in the room. There's somebody here today who needs to surrender in a special way. I'm trying to tell you this thing is real to me. And the tears fall and I'm full of worship because I remember, I don't forget, that it's only God who courses our life. As your heads are bowed, there may be someone today who just needs... To surrender to God's will, and that's why everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want to ask, through the course of this sermon, you've already decided, you've already said to yourself that you're going to surrender. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? God bless you, I see you. If that's you, just slip up your hand, don't be ashamed. God bless you, he sees you. I want to pray for you this morning. Father God, as our hands are lifted up, we've heard the words today, we've seen the life of David and Absalom, and we know that there is a plan that is will work for us, but we don't know the ins and outs. We don't see all things. We don't understand all things. And God, you know what's best for our lives. And so we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our plan. Whatever plan we had, we just give it away. We ask that you restore us in the place of our mistakes and our brokenness. We ask that you would use that place as a monument, not of shame and defeat, but of victory. No oh know, God, as you have brought friends to our lives, to confuse the plans of the enemy, to go before us, we pray a prayer of worship and gratitude because we want to be like you and we want to live for you the rest of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you're able and you don't mind, would you just join us in our last song as we just sing this song of worship and I don't know where you are, who you are, and what this song will mean to you. We're going to sing this song as a response to the goodness of our God.